This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. We know that you guys get this and that you understand it. Um, you guys have been very supportive of us so far, um, and we're really thankful for just your prayer support that you've pledged and um, just your financial support, and we really appreciate that. And then just more, I mean, you guys, that you guys do get it, that um, the gospel is um, what changes lives. Um, we want to take a step back, kind of and give you a little bit of an update um, on where we are. Um, so we're leaving for New York in three months. So our goal is to be there July 1st. So we started kind of packing a little bit, trying to sell stuff, um, kind of figure out how that looks for us. So it's kind of uh, it's a little scary sometimes, but uh, still really exciting uh, for what God has in store for us. Um, our financial situation now... We we still need thirty thousand um, dollars total uh, for our for our four year term. Uh, that encompasses everything um, that we would need. So if you want to break this down monthly, um, that's six hundred twenty five dollars a month um, of support that we need, and it it can come in in um, either way, it, um, whether it's one time gifts or uh, whether it is uh, the monthly support. That doesn't make any difference. Um, and we're really asking you guys as a church, as our church, uh, to really help us um, kind of push over this um, last hurdle of uh, finances that we need before we can leave uh, to go to New York. Yeah, just a, just a little update about um, how God's been leading us the last few months. We've been gone a lot. Uh, traveling to different churches. We've really, really missed being with you all. Um, so just kind of an update of a few things that God's been um, kind of leading us to the last few months. We are planning to take a potential trip to Albania next month to meet with a, t- a team of interest. Um, they're working with a, a very poor and displaced Muslim people group called the Roma people. And they're just very, very poor. They live in cardboard boxes. They don't have running water or electricity. Um, we, we really still have a lot of questions about where God's leading us after New York City. But one step in that process is to visit countries and teams that God has given us a passion for and a vision, a vision to reach. Um, so right now we feel the need to walk out some steps and to see that if that could be Albania. So... Um, We'll keep you guys updated in this process, uh, but please keep us in your prayers uh, right now that God will give us wisdom in this process and that God will provide the finances for this upcoming vision trip. So there are pledge cards that we have put back on the welcome desk if um, you feel God is leading you uh, to do that. And we really just like to challenge you guys just to um, just think about um, just the faces that you saw in the video. Just... Um, and just pray. I think sometimes here in America, we kind of, um, when things happen on the other side of the world, we just kind of brush them off. Um, um, we don't really take the time to um, really think what that means um, here and now and then eternally. Um, so just pray for the people. Um, and when you do see things that are happening on the other side of the world, just um, uh, just remember that they're people. Um, they have souls. And we just like to challenge you with that and um, really just kind of 
let that sink in and just pray for us and that that God would provide um, for us in what we're doing. So thank you guys. So, um, I don't know, in the video I saw the face of a little girl who kind of had a little half smile that looked a lot like Claire. <laughs> and I thought about how that little girl's life has been absolutely 180. Um, by being adopted out of a situation with a mom with some addictions and and just live basically a life in poverty and has been adopted into Gabe and Erica's family. And then to think about those people who don't know Jesus being adopted by Him and everything changing for them is a very powerful thing. Um, we want to encourage you, those, you, those of you who have made the commitment already to support Gabe and Erica, go ahead and begin your monthly giving this next month. As they uh, get ready to head off to New York, go ahead and begin that if you haven't already. Uh, there's several ways to give. Um, you know, you can give through our church, just given the offering designated to Gabe and Erica. Uh, you can, you know, go through the Church of God World Missions Organization it's very easy if you have a smartphone or if you want to give online on your computer. Just go to give.eldochurch.com. Um, give.eldochurch.com. Just type that into your smartphone browser and it pulls up the giving page. It's very easy to go through and give online. Um, or, you know, just give with checks however you want to in the offering here at church. Uh, but we'd encourage you to go ahead and begin your monthly giving this, this next month uh, to support Gabe and Erica. And if you haven't had the chance to pledge toward that yet, um, pray about that. See what God would have you to give. And as they said on the welcome desk, there's some commitment cards where you can uh, pledge to support them for their first four-year term. And uh, I'm excited about what God's doing through them. Rachel's going to come and sing as we receive our offering for this morning. Um, and uh, then Pastor Joe will bring us the message for this service and... Uh, I want to just uh, thank you for being here once again and invite you to open your heart and listen to maybe what the Holy Spirit would say to us this morning if He would point out something in our hearts. Let's listen to what He says to us today. You dwelt in love. 
conquered death and rose again. O Lamb of God, now reigning on the throne, the judge of all, faithful and true. for that song. Thank you for the offering as well. Just uh, grab your Bibles, make sure that you have them ready. We're going to be um, going through quite a few scriptures, and I know we're a little bit uh, started, getting started a little bit late, but uh, we're going to stay in the Word this morning. We've taken a couple of weeks to highlight Palm Sunday and Easter. But we're going to go back today to the series that wasn't supposed to be a series. Started out as a single message, and then it went to a second message. And now today we're looking at a third myth that our American version of Christianity has accepted. You know, we've changed Christianity to fashion it to where we're comfortable with it. The first week we looked at the myth that above all else, God always wants us happy. And And of course, God never said that, but we've taken that concept and with it have justified all kinds of things. And one of the most common that I've heard is is people say, well, I'm just not happy in my marriage. And so surely God wants me happy. And and so they justify divorce on the grounds that they're not happy. And uh, that myth can lead us down a slippery slope to where we begin to say, well, if it makes me happy, it's right. It's got to be of God. But if it doesn't make me happy then it must be wrong and it must not be of God. That was myth number one. Myth number two, we looked at the the, the fact that we think that God will never give you more than you can handle. We've heard that. I've heard some of you say it, but God never said that. The truth is that God does give us more than we can handle. And he does that so we can learn to depend on him. Because if in our own strength we could handle everything that that came to us, we really wouldn't need Jesus in our lives. Well, today we're going to look at another very dangerous myth, and that is the myth that it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Now, this lesson is a little bit heavy, and so let's start off with uh, maybe something on the lighter side. And you guys kind of seem subdued. Maybe it's just a hangover after Easter, um, 
but this is on the lighter side, and it's actually going to help set the stage for for our study. But here's what I want you to do, and I need everybody participating because it's no fun if you don't. I want you to look around to the people sitting around you, front, back, side, wherever. Look around to take note who is there. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to point to the person that looks like the biggest sinner. Okay? I'm serious. One, two, three, point. Larry pointed to me. <laughs> and some of you were pointing to yourselves, and that's, uh, that's, that's probably, probably good there, but... Um, now, now, I hope you were joking, but I want to ask you, and, and don't answer out loud, because this is a bit of a trick question. When it comes to sin, is all sin the same? You know, we supposedly identified the biggest sinner around us, but what is the criteria that we use to determine the biggest sinner? Are there certain sins that are worse than others? Are there certain sins that are better than others? And, and again, this is kind of a trick question, but, but today our society says, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. I sin, you sin, we all sin, and, and it's all the same. So, so don't judge me and I won't judge you. As long as we're not hurting anyone, then it's all good. Is that biblical? Well, we're going to discuss that question this morning. And as we get into our study, I, I, I want us to take a moment and, and reflect a little bit on human behavior. And I want us to think back to the time when Jesus lived. What do you think was the biggest cultural value during the time of Christ? I mean, what, what was the checks and balance for, for human behavior back when Christ lived? And and obviously this would be up for debate, but, but I think I can make a fairly strong argument that the biggest cultural value that determined behavior during the time of Christ was the concept of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was ingrained into that society that if you did something wrong, then you would suffer consequences on the same level as your crime. How about today? What's the biggest cultural value that that shapes our world today, and, and, and it's debatable, but you could probably make an argument that the biggest value might be the matter of tolerance. And, of course, the, the definition of tolerance has evolved over the past 20 years or so. Tolerance used to mean that all people had equal value. That was before. But today, tolerance has evolved to mean that all ideas and all behavior have equal value. What does that mean? Well, that means that it's now pretty much unacceptable to ever, ever label any type of behavior as sinful. Because we're supposed to be tolerant. And so, therefore, I should accept all ideas, all philosophies, all behaviors. You know, furthermore, we've even watered down certain words to describe sin, and, and we've given them new and improved, politically correct designations. 
You know, for example, instead of saying you're looking at pornography, we say, oh, well, that's adult entertainment. Or instead of saying, well, so-and-so committed immorality, uh, committed adultery, we say, well, they had a moment of indiscretion. Or when it comes to premarital sex, what do we sometimes call it? Well, fooling around. And then we add, well, and, and everybody fools around. And then when it comes to the cultural hot button of today, same-sex relationships, to soften it, we, we refer to it as an alternate lifestyle. So our society is taking what was once universally considered wrong and sinful, and we've sanitized it. Because high in our cultural values is the fact that we believe we can do anything as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. So let's talk about this. And let's look at three of our common cultural values and see if they line up to what God says. First of all, we see that our society is promoting the fact that I am not a bad person or you're not a bad person. No one is really a bad person. And of course, we commonly hear this at funerals. The deceased may have been a rascal, very wicked, immoral, but we say so-and-so had a good heart. Well, let me establish up front that you are a bad person. And I am too. We're all bad people. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. So don't ever pat yourself on the back and think that you are good. John 1.8 says if we claim to be without sin, in other words, if we say we're not a bad person, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, granted, if we compare ourselves to other people, because we can always find someone worse than we are. And you may be sitting by one of those people right now. But, but you might be able to say, you know, you're not a bad person compared to them. But remember that other people are not the standard of measurement. The, the standard of measurement is a holy and a perfect God. Amen? And when we look at ourselves in, in light of this perfect God, then we're all horrible and filthy and dirty and rotten, good-for-nothing sinners. And by the way, welcome to the Church of God Holiness where we preach a feel-good gospel. And always make everyone feel good about themselves. Well, the second thing that our society is promoting is this, and it's very dangerous. All sin is the same. Now, I need you to track with me on this because otherwise you're going to misunderstand and you're going to leave here saying, I disagree with Joe on this matter. So so I, I, I need you to... Grab hold of your the reins of your ADD and, and, and try to listen here. You hear all the time of people who say, who are you to judge me? I mean, what I'm doing is no worse than what you're doing. Yeah, I may be involved in immorality, but, but you've got a problem with gossip. And so you are no better than I am, and you need to just shut your mouth and quit judging me for my sin. Now... Again, listen carefully. In one sense, this is true. All unforgiven sin, big sin, little sin, ugly sin, leads to eternal death, period. You got that? Amen? All unforgiven sin, big, little, leads to eternal death. The wages of sin is death. So in that aspect, sin is the same. We on the same page so far? Okay. But when we look at earthly and eternal consequences... 
of our sin, not all sin is equal. Again, all unforgiven sin leads to hell. But the Bible makes reference to the fact that different sins have different consequences. Let me quickly tell you three things the Bible says here. First of all, our behavior or the level of our sin affects consequences on earth. Let me try to illustrate it this way. And and, and again, you're going to have to track with me. If I, as pastor of this church, commit the sin of gluttony, as unfortunately I have done on occasion, I've found that you are merciful to me and you still allow me to be your pastor. Thank the Lord. And honestly, I try to do my best to have self-control in my eating, but but I, I, I admit that there are times when I probably cross the line into gluttony, but you seem to be very tolerant of me when I do that. And maybe it's because you can relate to that sin. Pastor got a little zinger in, didn't he? But on the other hand, let's say that if in my small group that, that, that I lead on Wednesday nights, if this next Wednesday evening I would decide to bring in marijuana and alcohol for everyone and encourage us all to get in a circle and maybe hold hands and sing kumbaya and then smoke joints together and get totally smashed, I have a feeling that before the clock would strike midnight, I would be relieved as my, of my duties as pastor, and rightly so. Now, now, if we lived in Colorado, I might be able to get by with it. They've got different rules there. But, but here in the buckle of the Bible belt, there's no way in the world that I would keep my position as a joint-smoking, beer-guzzling pastor. And all the people said, Amen. Now, both of these, gluttony and drunkenness, are clearly identified in the Bible as being sin. Amen? I mean, you can go to Ezekiel 16.49 for the gluttony. You can go to 1 Corinthians 6.10 for the drunkenness. It's very clear The Bible calls gluttony sin. The Bible calls drunkenness sin. But you let me pastor the church being an occasional glutton. But I don't think you would let me pastor the church occasionally getting drunk or occasionally smoking a joint. So what what I'm trying to help you to understand is All sin will be judged by God, unforgiven sin. But there are different earthly consequences for different sins. Not all sin is equal in that aspect. And we're going to to be plugging into that here in just a moment. Secondly, our behavior also influences our rewards in heaven. It does appear that there will be different levels of rewards in heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. So when we're persecuted for Christ, it appears that God notices and he's taking notes. And it will increase our rewards in heaven. And my personal opinion is that those of us with upfront ministries will not receive the greatest reward. Now, I think we sometimes look at the great evangelists and great church leaders, great missionaries, and, and we say, you know what, those people will have an incredible reward in heaven, and, and, and I'm sure they will, but 
I, I wonder if when we get to heaven that after a thousand years, maybe 10,000, maybe a million years, we'll take a stroll down the streets of gold and all of a sudden notice some mansions that are especially elaborate and, and we will say, wow, God, who got those mansions? They must have been a great church leader. And I wonder if God won't say, Joe, follow me. And he'll lead me to the front door and introduce me to a person that the world never heard of. Wasn't a great preacher, not a great evangelist, not an upfront person. But God will say, Joe, this person here served me behind the scenes. You know, they mowed the lawn at the Church of God Holiness. The world never heard of them. They prayed. They gave sacrificially. They served tirelessly. They never complained. They never demanded their rights. And God will say their reward was great. One more thing I believe that Scripture heavily implies is that our behavior or the level of our sin influences our punishment in hell. Let me show you a couple of different verses. Luke chapter 20, verse 46. Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they love to parade in flowing robes and and to have everyone bow to them as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and at banquets, but they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. Take note. And then to cover up all, cover up the kind of people they really are, they make long prayers in public. Because of this, their punishment will be the greater. So th- th- this scripture shows some things God hates. You know, he, he hates taking advantage of widows. He hates hypocrisy, putting on a show of spirituality in the public. And he says those guilty of this will have a greater punishment. Here's another scary verse, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, it appears that God will judge more severely those people who cause little children to do wrong. And I was thinking about that this this past week. You know, those of us who are parents that aren't good and godly parents that don't lead our children right, and we know the truth, but we're lazy or whatever, I believe there's going to be a severe punishment for those parents. Jesus also said to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 11, he said, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And then when you look at the category of sexual sin, see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your, bo- uh, your body. And so... For all other sins, you know what the Bible says? It says fight and resist, but not this one. When it comes to sexual sin, Paul says, don't even try to fight it. But he says, run like crazy. Get away. Why? Because he said this one impacts you in a very deep and personal way. So yes, 
all unforgiven sin will be punished in hell, but not all sin is the same when it comes to consequences. So, misperception number one, I'm, I'm not a bad person. Yes, you are. And I am too. Number two, all sin is the same? Not really. The third big cultural lie that so many people believe is, since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it. And there are so many examples that we could use here. The young adult might say, well, I'm not a virgin anymore, so what's the use of stopping now? Or we've already messed up, and we're already living together, and so there's no need to go back now. And Or I already cheated in school and didn't get caught, and it actually seemed to help me, so I might as well do it again. Or, or I've already looked at some pornography, and I've desensitized my conscience, and, and it really hasn't affected me or my family, so... Really, is pornography that big of a deal? And and by the way, I just got this magazine last week, and I, I shared this in, in my small group Wednesday night, but this is Christianity Today. It was a, a recent survey that was done by the Barna group as well as Josh McDowell, and, and they surveyed uh, over 2,000 teenagers in this. But But how wrong is porn? I mean, have you ever thought about that? And in, in, in today's cultural view, is pornography that big of a deal? Well, let me tell you, and this is not an, a knock on, I realize we don't have a lot of people in this age group here in this tr- service, they're mainly in the second service, but um, from today's 13 to 24-year-olds, do you, can you believe that they view not recycling more immoral than viewing pornography? Not recycling is number four on the list. Viewing pornography, as far as the scale of being immoral, is number nine. They believe that wasting electricity or water, and and I'm not saying that these are good to do, but they view that wasting electricity or water is also more immoral than viewing pornographic images. I mean, that's what we're dealing with right now. And there are all kinds of statistics that just put the fear of, of God in me. And, and so there are many people that are, that are doing these things, and they say, well, I've already desensitized myself, and so I might as well just continue on. Well, the Apostle Paul deals with this matter in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He said, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? In other words, you know what? Since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it. And... You know, if God's going to forgive us anyway, why should we even stop? But but Paul says, no, no, no. He says, since we've died to sin, how can we live in it? Why would we continue to go back into that which hurts the heart of God and, and hurts our own lives and has the potential to hurt so many people around us? Shall we keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us anyway? Of course not. We know better than that. God has something so much better for us. And, and that is a spirit-filled life to where we fully obey God. You know, being around church, the church for a long time, and of course I was raised in church, I've learned some of the common criticisms against churches. And one of them is this. I, I just wish we could go a lot deeper in the Word. And sometimes it's directed towards a Sunday school teacher. Most of the time it's directed towards the pastor. You know, Pastor, can't you give us more substance and less bluff? And I, and, and I think a church could and should always go deeper. 
I think that's the goal. We're, we're too shallow. But there's something that I, I, I want us to be reminded of. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. Spiritual maturity isn't just having more knowledge, but it's having more fruit. Most of us, we don't need to know more. We just need to obey what we already know. And we need to be set free from the sins that entangle us. You know, I think it's a tragedy today how many people who call themselves Christians consistently walk back into the same sins over and over and over again. And they rationalize those sins and they justify those sins and, and they say, it's not that big of a deal. And besides that, who are you to judge? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? You know, this week, as I was preparing for today, I, I, I was just praying, Oh God, would you convict in a loving way those who need this message? You know, I, I, I prayed that we would understand that sin is progressive. You know, we cheat one time and we want to cheat again. We, we look at pornography one time and guess what happens? We get sucked in. We want more. It's progressive. We lie a little bit and, and suddenly we start to lie more and more and feel less and less guilt. You know, as the saying has been said so many times, sin will take us farther than we want to go. It will cost us far more than we want to pay and will keep us far longer than we want to stay. And, and so for those people who are saying, hey, my sin is, you know, my sin right now is no big deal. Well, all sin is a big deal. And because it is progressive, it will become even a bigger deal. And how will your sin, my sin, how does it affect us? Well, we lose that intimacy with God. And we're no longer sensitive to the voice of God, to the voice of our conscience. If we stay in sin, we're no longer as sensitive to our conscience. And our heart begins to harden. And this is where it becomes so dangerous because suddenly the distance between sinning and repenting grows bigger the distance grows bigger you know when we're trying to when we're following hard after christ there may be a sin we sin but right there is repentance it's a short distance between sin and repentance and remember repentance means we turn from our sin so, so when we're following god with all of our heart we may sin but right there is repentance but when we begin backsliding we sin and we find that the distance grows much, much longer between our sin and where we repent. And that's the dangerous part when we begin straying from God. Now, the last thing I want to do up here is act like I've got it all together. In fact, let me, let me just 
open my heart to you. The closer I get to Jesus, the more he reveals to me the impurities that he is constantly cleansing out of my life. And and I think you will find the same thing. I, I think that you will find the closer you get to Jesus or the closer you get to the light, the more you will recognize any darkness that might be in your life. And then when you bring it to Jesus, when you bring it to the light, Jesus sets you free. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering this morning if there aren't some people today that are trapped in their sin. And and you're one of those that will say, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Those, those are scary words. If there is something in your life where you have to say from time to time, yeah, I know I shouldn't do this, but then that probably means that you are trapped in your sin. You need to step out of that bondage and you need to step into His grace. You need to step into Jesus. You need to step out of your weakness and into His power. And maybe you thought, you know, I just can't seem to break free. Maybe maybe it's an addiction and you've tried and you think, I just can't. I'm destined to live with this until I die. But let me tell you, Jesus is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your sin. You know, we looked at, uh, you know, 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And then it goes on and says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins. And then what will he do? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll purify us. That's good news. We don't have to stay in our sin. He will purify us. He will cleanse us. And so today, I, I, I've been praying that God would make us more than conquerors. Jesus is the way out of sin. And so this morning, if you're one of those that has been saying, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing this, why don't you just let that be the last time you say that and bring it to Jesus? And let Jesus untangle the web of sin and free you. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to ask just for a moment of honesty here. This is not just so I have information. You know, this isn't something that I spread. But maybe there's someone here this morning that would say, Pastor, I'm one of those that I'm involved in some of those things that I, I, I know I shouldn't be doing. Would you just pray that I could experience freedom today? Would anyone just lift a hand and say, pray for me, Joe? Anybody? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Would you look up here just a moment before we pray? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Give it to Jesus. You feel like you're tangled up in this web. Give it to Jesus. And let him untangle everything and give you freedom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the freedom, the freedom that you want to give us and the freedom that you can give us and the freedom that you will give us. 
And Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to understand what it lives to what it means to walk in victory. Lord, too many of us we're living in disobedience. God, if there's anything that I would love to see to all of us here as part of this church is that we would experience freedom in Christ Jesus. And and shall we continue sinning the grace may abound? No, no, because we died to that sin. How can we live in it any longer? Lord, give us just, give us freedom in Jesus. Lord, for those that raise their hands, just that are entangled in some stuff. Father, I pray that they would experience freedom in Jesus today. For those that have addictions that maybe they've justified. For those that have wrong relationships that they feel they can't live without. For those that have attitudes of unforgiveness that they don't feel like they can get out from under. I pray, Lord, that we would experience freedom in Jesus, that there would be obedience. And we know that when we begin to obey you, that unlocks the door to heaven and you begin to just heap blessing after blessing upon us as a congregation. That's when revival comes, when we obey you. And so, God, I just pray that you would make us miserable in our sin and help us to just get a glimpse of what it means to be free in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you for coming. If any of you need to talk, need counsel, need prayer, uh, make sure that you contact somebody that you trust. Okay, I'm going to ask you to run to Sunday school. Okay, fast. Preacher went long today. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Just give the $200 to me and go to Sunday school. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.